Hello and welcome to Parley, the Hindu's weekly discussion podcast. I'm Prashant Parmal, your host for the day. The union budget that is set to be tabled in Parliament next month will be the last full-year budget of the Modi government before the general elections that are scheduled for next year. Many expect the budget to be populist in nature, but with uh, inflation being high, uh, there are questions about the government's ability to spend freely at the moment. To discuss this issue, I have with me Ms. Leka Chakraborty, who is a professor at the National Institute of Public Finance and Policy, and Mr. Madan Sabnavis, who is the chief economist at the Bank of Baroda. Uh, welcome to both of you. Mr. Sabnavis, Mr. Madan, my question, first question is to, is to you. It's pretty basic. Like, uh, do you think that the center, given its current fiscal situation, uh, do you think it can afford to present a populist budget uh, with inflation being like around like six percent, something like that, in December? Yeah, thanks, uh, Prashant. You know, actually, I think when we use this concept of populist budget, I think it's very much uh, misplaced because all governments try to do the best given the constraints which are there in terms of raising revenue and the ability to borrow, which is uh, defined by the fiscal deficit number which governments target. So as of now, we know very well that the government is uh, targeting a glide path on the fiscal deficit and we are moving in the downward direction. Now, this said, and given the fact that uh, quite a bit of the taxation part, the indirect taxation part, which is uh, in the realm of GST, is outside the purview of the budget. Uh, to my mind, the government will not really take on things which are outside what has been done so far. What I mean here is that uh, most of the programs which are running will probably continue to run. Will there be any new programs which give uh, a trans- free transfer of income or free transfer of grains? I think that's not something which would be on the radar because I think the government as a rule has been very prudent when it comes to fiscal management. And what we interpret as being a freebie or being populist is probably one more of interpretation rather than something which could be defined as being a kind of a trend. So this said, I would say that uh, even though we have uh, an election coming up next year, The government is cognizant of the fact that the fiscal deficit ratio has to be reduced. And given the amount of leeway which is there, that is after you meet your fixed commitments in terms of interest payments, maybe defense payments and subsidies, uh, there will be a certain amount which will be left for what we economists call um, productive expenditure in the form of capex. So there will be a certain kind of an allocation out here. But I do not think there will be any sounds made to say that we are doing anything different from earlier because of the fact that uh, we have a, uh, an election coming up. And so, therefore, to give a straight answer to what you raised uh, this question, will there be a populist budget? The answer is probably not. How it is, of course, uh, uh, articulated will be different. You may get a sense that the government is being populist or not so populist or conservative. But I think in terms of the numbers, it will be based more on prudence. Leka, your, your take Yes, uh, of course, India goes to general elections in 2024. So my hunch is, uh, you know, the government is going to be very prudent this time rather than, you know, uh, going to be very populist. Because in retrospect, uh, I think people vote for a government which is responsible in its fiscal prudence. So I don't think that there's going to be major uh, you know, schemes or a, a new uh, kind of populist measures that's going to get announced in this budget. Rather, the path 
to the fiscal consolidation will be given its importance because by uh, 2024, uh, you know, 25, we need to go towards the path of 4.5% of GDP, our fiscal deficit. So I think the tone of the budget will be fiscal consolidation. That's that's my hunch. But regarding the populist measures, I think the government is going to emphasize on its uh, food security measures and running that last mile of ensuring the food security measures beyond December 2022. You know, that was the hunch by many economists whether the government will be announcing that in the next budget. So my hunch is only that part, ensuring the food security government may announce in this uh, you know, upcoming budget. Other than that, I don't think that there is going to be a huge announcements related to any freebies or populist or anything, because high fiscal deficit was substantiated by high capex. So that was a narrative, and the government will be on that board only to ensure high capital infrastructure investment for a growth recovery process. Okay, so so the idea that I get from both of you is that the uh, the chances of a very pro populist budget is pretty low. Uh, so in that case, like my further question would be like, uh, so why do you think that's the case? Like, what exactly has changed? Like, is it because the government is like pretty wary of how the markets would react, or is it, uh, or is it like are there like checks and balances within the fiscal architecture of the country that are like making sure that the pop- government doesn't like go too pro populist? Like. Uh, Madan or Lekha, have you? Can I have your views on that? Yeah. Okay. If I could come in on this, see, I think that uh, the conditions today are quite different from what they were in 2019, or probably even in 2014. So, therefore, when we had the 2019 elections, there was definitely more fiscal space which was available to the government, and that's one of the reasons why we saw that there was that uh, PM Kisan scheme, which was probably the first cash transfer scheme which the government had brought about. But today we are in a different kind of a situation where uh, there is this overwhelming pressure of uh, maintaining fiscal prudence, given the fact that our fiscal deficit number, for all practical purposes, is very, very high and not something which can be tolerated because we're talking of 6.5% for the central government, another 35 to 4% for the states. So I think this is not something which is sustainable and something which the government is cognizant of. So therefore, while there would be a lot of measures which could be announced in terms of policy, but in terms of absolute numbers, which we're talking of, that is what goes into the budgetary numbers of the 40 lakh crores or so of the nuclei which you have, there is not too much of space which is available and not something which the government is going to push for. It'll be more than targeting that fiscal deficit ratio at five and a half, six percent or whatever it is. Now, th- now, now this said, I think... Uh, can there be something on the policy front? Yes, there could be certain articulation more from the point of view of uh, industry. Like, for example, when you're talking of a PLI scheme, extending it to further sectors, maybe extending it for SMEs. But there, there will not be an immediate outlay which will be involved in the current financial year. It will be as and when the companies are able to perform, they will be able to get this kind of a subsidy, which was part of the particular scheme. So that's the way I look at it. Alika, your take? Yes, uh, there won't be any... A strong a political business cycle models in India. That's my hunch. Uh, because, you know, uh, prior to the elections, uh, I don't expect that there is going to be a huge pump priming of money into the economy in terms of cash transfers, because we are too late to do that. We have not done that since 2020. So I don't think that there is going to be a you know announcement, an announcement related to a huge cash transfers to the hands of the people at this moment. But, uh, you know, as Madan pointed out, there could be targeted cash transfers. Of course, we have done for uh, farmers, 
Christmas. We have done it for women in the care economy in the beginning of the pandemic. So that could be targeted cash transfers, but the overall articulation of the government since 2020 was that we are focusing on employer of last resort policies. The government acting as an employer of last resort. So maybe the allocation will strengthen in the employment guarantee schemes, but not related to a major cash transfers or the basic income transfers or anything. So in that articulation, you know, the economy will be stimulated by participation income. Uh, participation income in this, the people will come out and part enjoying a basic income. So I don't think that, you know, prior to the elections, uh, there will be anything to incentivize the calculus of consent in such a manner that, you know, uh, we, we, we are going to give cash transfers or anything. So that's my hunch. Another thing, inflation is mounting. And RBI is raising interest rates to tackle the inflation. But inflation hurts poor. So in the upcoming budget, there will be social security measures uh, to tackle that. You know, otherwise, uh, you know, that is going to create some kind of a backlash if we don't announce anything related to how the inflation is managed. Because RBI, in spite of doing everything, you know, inflation is not getting contained within the comfort zone in the context of India. So what we can do uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, you know, giving a social security measure uh, to tackle, uh, you know, this inflation, the adverse effects of inflation on poor, that is one thing which, uh, you know, we look forward to in the upcoming budget. But that could not be quite populist because it can be uh, substantiated because the global inflation is mounting and there are disruptions in the supply chain and uh, we need to tackle this issue. And uh, that, that, that could be a powerful platform in which we can announce certain social security measures. Okay, so I like my next question is about like uh, how the uh, I mean inflation the trend and in inflation although the inflation is high above the RBI's range the com comfort range uh, the trend has still been downward. So in that case, um, particularly with the elections coming up, do you think this uh, the uh, possibility of the government actually uh, like isn't that like uh, I mean the let's say the uh, government expands its balance sheet. In that case, the in uh, the effect of uh, an expanded balance sheet on inflation numbers, it, usually there's a lag in that sense. So uh, it's not like if the government starts spending a lot this year, it's going to um, have immediate effects on inflation in the election year. So maybe the government thinks maybe we'll, the inflation effects will be lagging a, a lot further in the future. In that case, is there like an incentive for the government to spend more this year? Absolutely. If fiscal policy needs to be accommodative, because if you are raising the interest rate, the RBI's articulation is that the importance is given to inflation containment, but not for growth recovery process. Because for the growth recovery process, we need to keep the interest rates lower. But now the interest is, is mounting because we need to tackle the you know, capital flight. We need to tackle the financialization of savings. We need to tackle the mounting inflation. So, you know, we are doing it through an interest rate difference. But at the same time, fiscal policy, monetary policy coordination is very crucial. So that's going to be the political business cycle, not by incentivizing the calculus of consent, by doing a proper coordination between monetary policy and fiscal policy. My hunch is in the union budget, the fiscal policy will remain accommodative. That, that's, that's what I, I, I do believe. Because monetary policy is constrained in doing a growth recovery process. Because credit needs to be cheaper. What, what I was trying to 
uh, sees that you know credit needs to be cheaper for the growth recovery process but now the credits are costlier because the interest rate is mounting so you know then rbi needs to give a separate uh, you know guidance in terms of liquidity so that liquidity guidance will come separately but not through that interest rate difference so having uh, said that uh, you know we are looking forward to the fiscal policy and uh, my hunch is it is going to be accommodative otherwise it will affect the growth economic growth in the long term because we have we know that we have you know reduced uh, even the projections regarding the growth rate so to support the growth the fiscal policy needs to be accommodative but accommodative fiscal space in the sense it should not be fiscally profligate policies but a prudent uh, you know policy based on capital infrastructure okay madan your take here you know i have a slightly uh, different view because when i look at a budget i look at it more as an income and expenditure statement of the government where there is a certain amount of revenue which we are collecting there is a certain amount of borrowing which can be tolerated based on whatever are your fiscal prudence priorities which i mean laid down now when you look at the total amount of expenditure as such in the budget a lot of it seems to be committed so there are lots of things which have to be paid because uh, they have to be paid for example i paid a subsidy because there are certain problems for the weaker sections i have something called the interest payments as my debt keeps increasing i have to pay it so therefore i continue paying it uh, for the defense of the realm we'll have to keep spending on defense in fact now with the kind of border tensions which are there we may have to spend a little more also on defense so what really gets left over which we call discretionary expenditure is the capital expenditure Now, if we look at the overall capital expenditure numbers of the government, while the government, central government, has been uh, fairly aggressive in terms of increasing these outlays, but if you see the proportion of the capital expenditure to the total amount of investment which is taking place in the economy or which is required in the economy, if I look at maybe a ratio of something say in region of around thirty uh, percent of uh, capital of uh, GDP, so I'm really talking of something like capital formation in the region of around eighty lakh crores, and what the central government is really spending is more in the region of around six and a half lakh crores. If I remove the one lakh crores which is transferred to the states, this really means that the ability of a government to really push forward economic growth would be very much restricted, especially if you are not doing anything on the taxation front. Now, if I go back to the tenets of supply-side economics, which says that if you cut tax rates, you're able to make more efficiency, more work effort, higher incomes, and higher uh, income in tax buoyancy. That kind of a theory has not been tried out again. It was tried out in the 80s, partly in the 90s. After that, we have not really seen the supply-side tenets being used, which means that uh, most of the so-called growth focus is coming from the expenditure side of the government. And once we look at the expenditure side, it's the capex side. And as I told you, the capex is probably a drop in the ocean. You cannot really move the needle. So therefore, if we're talking in terms of growth, it has to come from the private sector. The center can probably contribute to it. The states put together could also contribute to it because they have a comparable amount in terms of capex which they spend. But if you're trying to say that the GDP growth is going to accelerate because of the budget, I think that would be very much misplaced. I would I would have lots of reservations against it. Until the private sector recovers, only then can we really see an uptick in economic activity. you know i respectfully agree to disagree madam you know uh, role of the government in triggering growth is very important and maybe i'm on board with you when i say that public investment is very important to crowd in private corporate investment of course your articulation is that the private investment is crucial for the growth recovery but there is a link between the private investment and public investment so that's why you know i think that in the you know instead of fiscal consolidation 
uh, in the short term, we are focusing more on accommodative fiscal space, giving importance to the public investment, especially the infrastructure investment, thinking that it's going to crowd in private corporate investment. Because we, we have tried many uh, institutional reforms uh, to, you know, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, to incentivize the investors confidence but i think in many econometric models in many you know empirical models the crucial variable to crowd in private investment is public infrastructure investment so i think that uh, emphasis on the public investment is very crucial and in that sense you know there is uh, the role of the government in attracting uh, the growth recovery process is very crucial so that, that's that's a multiplier effect i was trying to discuss maybe we are on the same page so actually, uh, to what uh, Lekha said, see, my response would be that we have been talking of this crowding in of private investment. Center has been doing what way it can from within what way spaces available in the budget, but this really hasn't taken off. So even if I look at the way in which industry is growing, it's only the infra-based industries which are showing some kind of an uptick in terms of output, in terms of investment, having higher capacity utilization rates. But when I'm looking at the other side of it, of course, there are other, other problems, challenges which are there like job creation, which is not, again, within the realm of a, of a budget, I've said that the private sector is not really playing its role. And I think that's one of the reasons why investment has been stagnant. And we had capital formation rates in the region of 33 34% in the early part of the first after of the earlier decade. And then after that, we are now stagnating in the region of 27 28 29%. So, but a big push to come, I think it has to be private sector investment, which has to play a role. Uh, government can support, I think the government is more an enabler. So I think what we see outside the budget in terms of various policies which are being drafted, I think they have more far-reaching uh, uh, implications in terms of bringing in private investment. But the un unfortunate part is that private investment has still been lagging. It's very much hesitant. There was a time when the banks had a problem in terms of lending for investment. Today, those problems are hopefully behind us. I think the banking situation is fairly robust right now. So I think we are probably have a good platform, but I think the basin has to be taken by the private sector. Martin, uh, talking of private investment, I get at least my next question. Like, uh, If you look at the policy side, the reform side of the budget, we are going beyond the fiscal side. Uh, like, do you see, like, uh, in the, I mean, uh, because we are heading into elections next year, do you see the prospect of any tough structural reforms? Uh, like, it seems like the answer would be no. Uh, so, well, if you could also shed light on how you see the track record, or, I mean, because it's, it seems like the last full year budget of this government over the last 10 years, over the last of the last 10 years, since 2014, how do you see the track record of the government in terms of structural reforms, policy reforms? So in terms of structural reforms, I think uh, the government has been very positive, all encompassing, all sectors being covered. But I don't look at the budget as being the platform when these policies are launched. Just like I felt that even when we had the COVID uh, problem and the lockdown, we had Atman Nirbar. So the focus was more in terms of structural reforms. If you see those entire series of seven or eight uh, policies which were uh, which were announced, most of them were based on structural reforms, which is very good. So that time we uh, complained from by the critics was that uh, direct intervention was required. The government should have been spending more, passing on income to the people. That was not really done, which was done in the Western countries. So I think when we look at the overall policy basket, I would say we need to look at a longer time frame, look at various sectors. And wherever there is a lacuna, I think that has been plugged in by the center. Now, this said, we should also remember that 
that India is a federal structure, which means we have states, we have municipals. So therefore, the center can do only a certain part of it. We need lots of reforms in terms of enabling business, making uh, doing business easier, which has to come at the state and municipal level. And I think that's a, quite a differential picture we, we get when we look at different states and different uh, uh, cities. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, you know, fiscal policy acting as a counter-cyclical fiscal policy tool, you know, looking only into cyclicality will not work, uh, you know. So your question, Prashant, on the, the structural reforms is very crucial because, you know, we need to look into the structural bottlenecks because cyclicality will not solve the issue of growth recovery process. And that question has uh, its roots in the business cycle itself, like in the time of the post-pandemic fiscal uh, you know, path, uh, if we are focusing just on the cyclicality, we may not get the growth story correct because you know, many of the things are structural in nature. And one of the important structural reforms that country initiated is on the power sector reforms. The power debt is very high to, to cleanse that discoms mess. So that policy is going to be very crucial. And it is linked to fiscal consolidation as well. In the sense the extra borrowing space we are giving to the subnational governments to the state governments that 0.5 extra in addition to the three percent of the fiscal deficit of gdp that's based on the power sector reforms so that kind of you know linking it to the fiscal consolidation the structural reforms linking it to fiscal consolidation that is quite crucial and as madan rightly pointed out in our cooperative federal model you know it is not only the state level but what union government has for the state finances is also an important question so in that regard uh, you know the policy related to transferring uh, a part of capital spending transfers to the subnational governments that uh, you know one lakh crore for the capital investment industry loans so that kind of policies i think with uh, more allocation it should be there in the upcoming budget as well to support uh, you know the capital investment at the state level because the states are also heavy lifting in terms of you know capital investment so uh, you know focusing on the structural reforms is very crucial because this drop in the gdp what we are experiencing is not cyclical uh, just because you know if if we correct the cyclicality then we are going to get the recovery already no we are not going to get the recovery perfect we need to focus on the structural reforms because uh, you know these are permanent scars so if the growth uh, drop in the growth is a permanent scar we need to focus on the structural reforms i do agree to that point okay uh, going in a little deeper my last question is on the structural reforms itself uh, people have talked a lot about how india's factor markets like the land labor market and all uh, there's a lot of red tape still in, in place and stuff. So is there anything that you see on that angle, like from the budget, uh, like making resources more, uh, like more productive, uh, in the sense, like making it easier for the private sector to use these resources to bring about growth? Hey, Prashant, I think that uh, when you're talking about these kind of structural reforms, it has to be done over a period of time. It's not something which can be done uh, in a single year's time, and nor can it be done in a budget. And as I said earlier, I don't think it's really the platform for it, though you send the right kind of signals, which will probably boost the stock market indices on a particular day, and then it'll be back to normal. And uh, again, the problem really is that... Uh, Generally, when you talk, when we talk to foreign investors, they still say that doing business in India is difficult because uh, while uh, because of the federalism which is there, that I can get a clearance from the center, but when I come to the state or I come to Mumbai, for example, I have to get a clearance from the BMC. We have a different set of issues which really come up. So I think uh, when we're talking of structural reforms, uh, we need to have all the governments, all levels of government working together. 
Second, when you're talking of one another reform, which is, for example, land reforms, I think that is something which has been pending for a long time. You look at the, the farm laws, which I think are very, very progressive reforms. They have been held up because of, uh, of other reasons. So I think when we are addressing these issues, I agree, given the political economy of the country, it's not easy to solve it at one, one shot. But at least introducing it or trying to bring in land reforms, trying to bring in the farm laws to change them, to try and commercialize agriculture. I think these are all steps in the right direction, which hopefully over a period of time, maybe in the next five years, we will actually see a solution. Because I think everything is not that straight. It's not just white or black. For example, if I'm looking at land reforms, we have seen that while industry has always been clamoring that uh, we should be able to buy land so that they're able to grow. We have seen in Mumbai, for example, when Mumbai Metro, when the government wanted to pick up land which belonged to industrialists, they have actually raised a hue and cry. So it's not just to say that the farmer's land can be can be bought up, but the industry, industrialist land should not be bought up. So we have these kind of contradictions. I'm sure that we do we will have a solution. But these things is all work in progress. And as I said, hopefully in the next five years, we will be able to, to crack these uh, rather tough nuts and there will be a solution coming. But I think what the government is doing is very progressive. Keep introducing, seeing what the reaction is probably fine-tune the laws and make sure, like we have seen some, some progress made in the labor laws also, that we'll probably see something coming out more concretely, maybe in the next uh, couple of years. Lika, you, you can have the final say. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, you know, consultative process is very important, uh, you know, when we get into the labor uh, reforms or labor Code. So that consultative process is very important. And of course, that is outside the purview of budget. Only the budget can give the narrative. Now comes a question, uh, does the size of the government matter? Or, uh, you know, we need to focus more on, uh, you know, that running the last mile in improving the efficiency of the money spent. So in that case, you know, the minimum governance, which is uh, you know, given importance uh, by the government, uh, you know, that is very crucial because that strengthening the public service delivery and that helped the government to be back in the last elections because it, it's more than the size of the government. What helped the government to come back, uh, you know, with full power was running the last mile in strengthening the public sector or the public uh, provisioning. Uh, so maybe uh, this time also they may be focusing on, uh, you know, strengthening the public service delivery, uh, running the last mile, and especially in terms of, you know, giving energy, uh, infrastructure, gender budgeting. You know, these are the things which government may focus uh, in the upcoming budget because, you know, in the articulation of freebies, uh, if we are focusing on long-term public financial management tools like gender budgeting, climate responsive budgeting, child budgeting, then, you know, it will not be interpreted as freebies. So maybe government will give more importance to the long-term PFM tools. So within that analytical framework of gender budgeting or the climate responsive budgeting, you know, when the policies are articulated, it will not be interpreted as freebies. So I, my hunch is the government will use that PFM frameworks like gender budgeting to get the women's voters, uh, you know, mandate on board so these are my hunch and i look forward to thank you so much thank you Lika, and thank you madam yeah uh, thanks for your answers thanks for both of you thanks a lot Krishan.